um, like Hans also mentioned, I come with a heart that is, well, overwhelmed. Um, in the past several weeks, we have seen the earth hardening, uh, I'm sorry, the earth quaking, um, floods rising, hurricanes spinning, virus mutating, government toppling, and many hearts hardening, even when we have solutions before us. I'm probably not the only person here who confesses that honestly, there are days when I just want to crawl up and ignore what's really happening. But our restless bodies remind us that we are not well and we can't deny what is happening around us. Today's passage reminds us that uh, Jesus also knows what it feels to be overwhelmed and that even in difficult seasons of life, the Holy Spirit can disrupt our understanding of our present reality and expand or extend that vision of God's kingdom. Um, today, if this is a text that is probably very familiar to some of you, or most of you, I hope. Um, it's recorded in two of the Gospels, in Matthew as well as in Mark chapter 7. And I hope that uh, we can look at this story from two perspectives, one from Jesus and his disciples, and the other perspective from the Canaanite woman, also referred in Mark as the Syrophoenician woman. So same person, different uh, name for that person. The passage begins with Jesus retreating to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Um, it says that he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. If we just start with chapter 15 here in Matthew, it, might not make sense uh, why he wants to just like be in this place. But um, if we look and if we read chapter 14, we see that Jesus has had a very traumatic week. Um, we see that John the Baptist uh, was brutally beheaded. His cousin, um, John, was a key figure in Jesus's personal life. And as a prophet, John was a key leader for many um, Jews under Roman occupation. So we see in Matthew chapter 14 that Jesus wants to get away. Right? He wants to get away, but as we know, the crowds keep following him. So in spite of this unspeakable loss and grief, Jesus continues to minister, feeding, healing, teaching, doing miracles. So if anyone deserves rest, to take a break, it was Jesus. He was exhausted. So we know, we know the need of rest, right? Um, we have experienced that need of rest and not being able to get it. Well, just when they were just going to get away for a little bit, you know, throw off their sandals and um, just sleep maybe a little bit, they hear a loud cry, uh, cry outside. There was a Gentile woman, a Greek, who was making noise and making demands. And what is the response from Jesus when somebody was in need? Silence. Maybe they didn't want to get up, including the disciples. And when we ourselves are exhausted, it's really hard to empathize. Um, when our energy is depleted and our loss is great, disruptions can become hard and even annoying. So the disciples want her to stay quiet, but it says in the scripture 
she keeps crying after us. So Jesus finally answers the woman who is no longer shouting from afar, but now we see in Mark's uh, rendition that uh, she's right at his feet. And his response is rather cold and rudely direct. He basically says, you're not my priority. I'm here for my children and that is enough. And you're not one of them. These are my children and well, you guys are dogs. Um, It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So he's basically saying, you are not priority. I don't have capacity for you. And that probably would discourage most people away, but she persists and responds right away. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Even the dogs have to eat Jesus. And at her bold and surprising response, Jesus gives in. He actually loses this argument. Once irritated at this disruptive and seemingly rude woman, now he is surprised and his perspective shifts to, quote, her kind. She wins his heart with his logic. Now let's look at the story from the eyes of the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman. She knows the long history of her people. The Canaanites are old enemies to the Jews. They were even enemies before she was born, and she knows the unspoken but clear cultural lines that are drawn between these groups. And we see in this passage also that she comes to Jesus alone. A husband is missing in the story. And perhaps we can infer from this absence, his absence, that her status in society is one that is not to envy. She is without a husband, without security, without protection. And she has a daughter who is labeled demon possessed. She has no one to protect herself and her daughter. We also know that Jesus and the disciples are tired and rightly so, but the mother was also tired too. She's not exhausted from doing spectacular or miraculous ministry but she is tired from the daily grind of caring for her child in a social system that does not prioritize someone like her, someone like her daughter. Do we know people like this? This woman in our community who fights every day, every moment just to survive, just for her family to survive? Do we have eyes to see the restlessness of others when we are also feeling burnt out? This exhausted mother enters into an unwelcoming space. She knew what she was gonna get into. Jesus and his disciples didn't want to see her and we see her still moving closer and closer to them. Have you ever been in an unwelcoming space? As an Asian American woman who even though has lived in America um, for over 40 years, Um, This time of the pandemic has given me an acute experience of feeling unwelcomed. Um, When Trump and his administration intentionally called COVID-19 Kung Fu virus or China virus, all Asian Americans, I'm Korean Americans, American, but um, even all Asian Americans felt the side-eyed glares even in our own neighborhoods and the markets that we have been 
know, frequenting for decades. Have you ever been in an unwelcome space? It's really hard to stay present in an unwelcoming space. So where does her faith and boldness to disrupt come from? I think her faith comes from her single-mindedness. She lives in a shame culture when she knows the piercing look of dis disapproval and demeaning words or silence. And that can shred her dignity, but she walks in looking only at Jesus, the one she wants to meet. Her single-mindedness and her desperation gives her the courage to speak to the powers. She knows the daughter is sick and the healer is in town. Maybe he has enough healing power, heal even his enemies. Do you know people like that? People who believe that Jesus may have the power to penetrate systems, cultures, individual lives, even those we consider enemies? Do we know churches like this? Is Manhattan Mennonite Fellowship such a church? I think it is. Instead of shirking away from this intimidating space with powerful people, a woman in a patriarchal space, a Gentile in a Jewish space, in this uncomfortable intersectional space, she claims her place at the table. Be that under the table. She claims that her daughter, her people too have a place at the table. And in faith, she declares that even the crumb from the master's table has enough power and she will claim it. She will claim that the good news of the daily bread is also for her and her people. And that is the faith that changes Jesus, I think. Her faith recognizes that in God's economy, there is enough for everyone. Jesus is enough, and she is going to live into that reality. She persists that Jesus is powerful and that just a crumb of his touch, a word, a glance will be enough, that Jesus is enough. She knew that Jesus was the source, and that is the faith that moves Jesus. So I wanted to ask you some questions as we kind of think about this passage again. What are the things that are making you overwhelmed right now? Sometimes there are certain things that are so up close that we can't even see what's happening in Afghanistan. I get it. There are so many of us who are struggling. They see people that we love dying. We see our families, um, needs not being met. We don't have the capacity to look at the larger picture of what is happening around the world. That is okay. Jesus is still with you. And Jesus understands that feeling of being overwhelmed so much that we are blindsided to the pain of others. That is where we start. And we start knowing that Jesus is there with you. The second reflection, the question that I have is, how can those at the center extend that table? How can we who say, you know, I've done some good work for God and I deserve to be at the table, recognize our privilege and make room for others? How can we stay humble to recognize our blind spots? You know, MCUSA has released a curriculum to talk about police abolition. Um, 
responding to the shouts of the most vulnerable who are being harmed by the current policing system. We as a denomination need to re-engineer our table to expand, add pieces, so that the table of God can include those who are most vulnerable to the status quo. We are expanding the table to envision the table fellowship where we believe there is enough for everyone. Might God give us the holy imagination for the work of imagineering the table, even a table with the enemy. I don't know what that looks like, but how can our mission, how can the mission of Manhattan Mennonite Fellowship be expanded to true table fellowship where we believe there is enough for everyone? I know that that is a conversation that you guys have in this church. May God grant you holy imagination for the work of imagineering reimagining the table, even a table with the enemy. And for those of us who have been in the margins, who have been told you are not priority in our society, in our church, how can those of us in the margins learn to persistently and in faith amplify our voice? We must walk in faith keep our eyes on Jesus and move to the center? How can those of us on the outside claim that we are not going anywhere, that we have a place at the table too? How can we speak in faith that Jesus has extended this table for us too and challenge those in the center to make room? How do we do this dance? How do we do this creating table together kind of um, project? It's time to speak up. If you're afraid, the Holy Comforter will comfort you and breathe in new courage to disrupt the center. You know, for me, coming into the Mennonite church um, as an Asian American woman, there aren't that many of us. um, I really think about people who have helped me to come to the center, to come to the table. I think I have a picture at the next slide um, of people who have done that for me. Um, This is a very small house church that uh, have welcomed me and my husband as we were starting Reconciliation, um, a dream of doing a peace center for immigrant churches, um, imagining what that would look like. And it was this small house church with a few people, I think 100% white people. (laughs) Um, You know, they said, I believe in what you guys want to do and we will help you, we will resource you, we will we will come alongside. And they started um, supporting us and we're where we are, you know, we were nine years strong. And we, that couldn't have happened if they did not imagine extending that table for us. The next uh, slide, please. Um, and now the table of the Mennonites look a little different with a little different kinds of foods, you know? Like here's Glenn who visited me um, in LA. I'm not, like I said, I'm Korean, but we're at a Cantonese dim sum place. Um, trying to imagine, and this is these are all Mennonites. These are a lot of members, leaders of the Pasadena Mennonite Church. Um, and we're like, wow, this table does not look like the typical uh, you know, table for the Mennonites, but here we are. And this, you know, was before I came into my role with the Mennonite church. And so, and I think this was before Glenn came in his 
executive director. So these are really, really exciting. Um, but also there's a, there are pushbacks, you know, um, it's not always, this is hard. Some people don't want new pieces added to the table. They like that wooden, beautiful oak finished table, you know, that was passed on from generation to generation. And it's hard for them to imagine eating dim sum, eating chicken feet at the table. Um, how are we going to do this? We need to continue to expand. Um, and although it's exciting, we also need a lot of prayerful and support with one another as we imagine this kind of reimagining. And I think, do I have one more slide? Yeah, and this is another table. Um, that I often think of in my understanding of what it means to be a Mennonite. This is a, a, a picture, a shot that I think I took um, at the Hope last or several years ago, a Hope for the Future uh, gathering where we have uh, BIPOC leaders from across the Mennonite church gather for about two, three days to imagine what it means and to expand the table, to demand that our table, to amplify our voice, to let our voices be heard um, in the larger Mennonite church. And so this is a place where I learned to speak up. This is a place where I also learned to preach um, and to val and they validate my voice and I validate theirs. Friends, um, yeah, there's Lizzie. <laughs> um, this, is, this is how I understand what it means to, to sit together at the table of God. And I pray that you as Mennonite, as a Manhattan Mennonite Fellowship, I know you guys are already doing this work, that uh, your, your vision will be enlarged, that God will give you um, the strength at such a time when we do feel overwhelmed, that God would give us imagination and renewed strength for such a time. Let us pray. Holy disruptor, disrupt what we have planned for ourselves and for this world. Come and break upon us with divine surprise. Rip open the veil that uncovers our eyes and unsettle us with sacred joy at the table. Amen. <laughs>